Welcome to BrainBeat, a podcast series featuring discussions with experts on brain health and brain function, brought to you by the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. I'm Pete Stabenoa, a clinical neuropsychologist and host for today's episode on exercise and the brain. Our listeners are in for a treat today as our guest is an internationally recognized authority on the topic, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Dr. Suzuki is an award-winning professor of neuroscience and psychology in the Center for Neuroscience at New York University, and she's Dean of the College of Arts and Science. She's a celebrated international authority on neuroplasticity, and Dr. Suzuki was recently named one of the top 10 women changing the way we see the world by good housekeeping. She regularly serves as a sought-after expert for publications including the Wall Street Journal, Shape, and Health. Her TED Talk has more than 55 million views and was the second most viewed TED Talk of 2018. Dr. Suzuki is author of Good Anxiety and Healthy Brain, Happy Life. Welcome, Dr. Suzuki, and thanks so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, wonderful. So I want to start with a little background. I want to jump into just kind of why did you become a neuroscientist? Yeah, that's a quite great question. I have a very specific moment when I decided I wanted to become a neuroscientist. It was the first day of my freshman year at UC Berkeley when I walked into my very first freshman seminar class and I saw this professor at the front of the classroom. She was very striking. She was tall and she was wearing this beautiful kind of skirt and blouse with this white lab coat on top of it. She was giving off the vibe of kind of like a neuroscientific Beyonce. And I was like, wow, okay, who is she? And the other very memorable thing is that she had this hat box, this flowered hat box on the counter in front of her. And she welcomed us to this class called The Brain and Its Potential. And she started telling us that the brain was the most complex structure known to humankind. And as she was telling us all the things that it does for us every single moment of every day, she slowly and dramatically took her gloved hands and opened the top of that hat box and reached in and pulled out a real preserved human brain right in wow. front of us. There were only 15 of us. And so, of course, you can imagine all of us freshmen were like, <gasps> never seen a human brain before. <laughs> there it was in living color right there, a real preserved human brain. Even that dramatic moment wasn't the thing that made me want to become a neuroscientist. What made me want to become a neuroscientist was the studies that she talked about that first day that she had done in the 1960s at Berkeley. Her breakthrough, one of her many breakthrough studies that had first shown that adult brains could actually change and grow in response to the environment that they were exposed to. So she was on kind of the positive psychology side, even, even before there was positive psychology. And she asked, what would happen to rat brains if they raised the rats in what I like to call the Disney world of rat cages with lots of toys and lots of other rats to play with compared to rats raised in smaller environments with just maybe one other rat in there. And she showed significant changes in the actual size of the outer covering of the brain. That that is what we now know and what we call brain plasticity, the amazing ability of the human brain to change and grow and change its circuitry in response to the environment. She discovered that. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. 
I want to be a Beyonce neuroscientist. <laughs> and so that was the day I decided I wanted to become a neuroscientist. Oh, what a, what a wonderful story and what a wonderful entry into the field. So let's jump into our topic. Can you tell me how does exercise change the brain? How are, how are improvements yeah. made? So in fact, our understanding of that goes back to my mentor, Marion Diamond, the neuroscientific Beyonce that I met my first day, because those original studies looking at the effects of raising rats in enriched environment changed the brain. They didn't know how at that point. But then they asked, well, how is the enriched environment changing the brain? What was it? Is it the social interaction? Is it the toys? Is it the two-story rat cage that they gave the rat? And what they found is they could reproduce almost all of these beneficial brain effects simply by giving rats access to a running wheel. Physical movement, physical activity given to these rats were changing their brains. And we now know there are two brain areas that are most sensitive to increased amounts of physical movement. And that is my favorite brain structure called the hippocampus, critical for our ability to learn and retain new long-term memories for facts and events. Uh, we use it every day as dean and as a professor. You know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm using, I'm working my students' hippocampi every single day in the classroom. And the other brain area that is very, very sensitive, there's more than two, but I'm just giving you the top two. The second one is the prefrontal cortex right behind the forehead. So important for your ability to shift and focus attention and decision-making. So two things critical for every student out there, everybody that wants to do well in their work environment. Those are the two brain areas that are most benefited by physical activity. Okay. And so it sounds like the, the cognitive manifestations of those brain improvements are just such an important point. I just kind of want to hammer it home is potentially improving memory, yes. improving attention, improving yes. decision-making. Exactly. Th those are such critical aspects, especially as we're adults getting older and aging and you know possibly starting to lose some of those faculties. Yeah, that is a great point. So the other key thing that everybody listening to this podcast needs to realize is that I've just told you that the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex benefit the most from physical activity. I didn't even tell you the most exciting part, which is the way that the hippocampus benefits from physical activity is that exercise releases what's called growth factors in the brain. It goes directly to your hippocampus, starts sprinkling growth factors in the hippocampus. And what happens? New brain cells are born in your hippocampus. I'm not talking about just five-year-olds. I'm talking about you and I. With physical activity, we get more shiny new hippocampal cells in our hippocampus. Now, Everybody should say, oh my God, that's my new motivation to move my body more. But there's even more behind that because as many of you know, the hippocampus and the prefrontal cortex are two of the most vulnerable areas to age-related cognitive decline. And the hippocampus is the most sensitive and vulnerable area in Alzheimer's dementia. So exercise is not curing aging. It's not curing dementia. But what it does is with long-term exercise, you can literally build up at what I like to call a big, fat, fluffy hippocampus and a big, fat, fluffy prefrontal cortex. 
And what that does is it takes longer for any disease states, normal aging, dementia, to damage enough of these brain areas. So you see those impairments that are the hallmark of Alzheimer's dementia. Oh, again, such an important point. Just so in a way, you're building up muscle or you're building up physical brain. Yes. And in a way, that's protective then of the yes. normal aging process. Yes, it is protective. I like to call exercise a supercharged 401k for your brain. <laughs> but you get immediate benefits because I forgot to mention the other thing that you get with exercise is an immediate mood boost. Here's the image that I love to leave everybody when they are thinking about exercise in the brain and thinking about how they could get more movement into your life. And that is that every single time you move your body, we know from many years of study that there is a release of all sorts of neurochemicals in your brain. What are those neurochemicals? Well, they're the growth factors that I already mentioned that help those shiny new hippocampal cells pop up in your hippocampus, but also includes neurochemicals that you've heard of like dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, endorphins. What does that do? That makes you feel good. That decreases anxiety levels, decreases depression levels, increases feelings of energy and happiness. So I like to say that every single time you move your body, it's like giving your brain a wonderful bubble bath of neurochemicals. These are the neurochemicals that help you feel better, help your brain kind of grow and make the, the useful connections and will help stave off age-related decline and even dementia. So I want to dig in just a little bit more to this emotional aspect yeah. of it, because again, that's such a, a nice complement to the physical improvement and the, and the cognitive improvement and protection that we see with exercise. So as you're describing this, are these effects temporary or is this also something that kind of, if you exercise, you're building up kind of a, an emotional stamina or, or yeah. stress management capacity? So here are the data. Exercise has been shown to be as effective as some of the most commonly used antidepressants to address depression, like wow. major depressive disorder. So they did studies where they looked at the effects of regular treadmill walk running versus antidepressants versus a combination of both. And running alone, run walking on the treadmill was as effective. And so it is powerful. It is absolutely powerful and it works. However, the analogy that you just brought up of the brain as a muscle is absolutely true in some cases, in the sense that like a muscle, if you work out at the gym a lot and you build that bicep up by doing lots of curls, uh, you say, okay, I have that. And then you don't ask, is that going to last the rest of my life? Did I do the work, you know, forever? <laughs> You're going to have to keep it up or else there is, you know, diminishing returns. Well, that's exactly the same for the brain. Imagine that bubble bath. The, it's the, the elements in that bubble bath that are causing all the benefits. If you decide, okay, I'm on vacation from my bubble bath. I'm just not going to give my brain the bubble bath for the rest of my life. Is that going to have an effect? Yes, it will. You will not have as high levels of, of the dopamine, the serotonin or the growth factors. So, you know, it's, um, the good news. Let me temper that slightly bad piece of news with a good piece of news which is that people often ask, well, what's the least amount of movement that I have to do <laughs> to get some of these good bubble bath effects? And I have a specific 
science-based answer for that. And the answer is 10 minutes of walking, walking out, but not just outside, 10 minutes of a walking has been shown to significantly decrease depression, anxiety levels. That seems to be the minimum that you need to get. And that's something that everybody can do. You don't even have to change into your spandex, you know, to get 10 minutes of walking in. That is the good news. And keep it up. And your brain is going to continue to get bigger and fatter and fluffier. That is another image that I want to leave you with. <laughs> so when you say 10 minutes of walking, just so that the listeners kind of get the real specifics on this, is this 10 minutes a day? Is this 10 minutes several times a week? What, oh, what would be the frequency? for? Yeah, practice? that's that's a great question. So, so the data show that this was just a one-time deal. Can 10 minutes of walking have a significant, yep. significant effect? Now, this does not change long-term brain. You know, one 10-minute, you know, bout doesn't change long-term brain changes. But because exercise is releasing this bubble bath of neurochemicals, 10 minutes can release enough so that you feel, oh my God, I feel better. And if you think about it, everybody's gone for that walk. Like, I can't handle it at work anymore. You go outside, I can't handle it. And you come back and say, oh, I feel better. I'm not sure what happened. Well, I'll tell you what happened. You gave your brain a bubble bath of serotonin and dopamine and that elevated your mood. Now, does that last for the rest of your life? No, it doesn't. If you want something that lasts and really changes the neuroanatomy of your brain, we have to go back to that model of rats living in the Disney world of rat cages with regular access to physical activity. And then everybody wants to know, what's the formula? How much do I have to do? For that, frankly, we don't know the exact formula, but what I like to encourage people is that something is always better than nothing. And so maybe you you won't get the biggest hippocampus in the whole world, but if you add just a little bit more movement and you can start with walking, that already we know is gonna have an effect on that neurochemical milieu that you are trying to, you know, boost up to be the best that it could be. So every little bit counts and it doesn't matter how old you are. We know that even people starting later in life can benefit. But for those of you with kids out there, get that habit in the kids' lives every single day. You are going to see their brains, you know, get big and fat. Okay, you won't see it. But you will, you will experience <laughs> yes, yes, the big yes. cat fluffy brains. Well, wonderful. Yeah, as a pediatric person, I, I love to hear how this is applicable to kids as well. And you've got me so motivated, I can barely stay in my chair and <laughs> not run for a walk. But I promise I'll, I'll finish this. So this kind of leads to that next issue of you've motivated me. I'm sure you've motivated our listeners. This is all so logical, so data informed. It's all so evident. And yet many of us don't yeah. take this advice. We don't mm -hmm. stick with it. Can you speak to that? Motivation is a difficult thing. Habits are hard to form and hard to break once you have them. All these things kind of push us towards not taking advantage of this clear science and things that we know. Also, I have to say that our whole culture and being phone oriented and sitting in our on our couch for the last three years, getting work done there does not benefit just the general desire to move. And so I like to talk and, and remind people of several things around this area. First, exercise can be a negative word. You know, people think, oh, I, you know, I have to get dressed up in my spandex to do real exercise. 
what I'm talking about is movement, moving your body. Go to Costco. Well, walk around two or three times that huge space. That counts. That counts. That's helping, helping your brain. Garden. Ah, that works too. Like to dance in your living room, like nobody's watching. That counts too. All of these, these little things also. Do not think that, okay, I have that, that fancy new exercise studio and, you know, that always scared me. That's okay. You don't have to do that. Try and build and leverage the kinds of movements that you enjoy, that you're already doing, especially if you can get, you know, family, friends involved, like walking into a museum. Well, add that. Like walking outside in a park, add that. Horseback riding to golfing. All of that, all of that counts. So it does not have to be, you know, sweating on that exercise bike. I love going to spin classes uh, <laughs> really, really hard. If you don't like that, that is great. You know, find something that works for you. Think about the term movement in the broadest sense possible. And I think that brings down the barriers at least a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think that's such a great thing for listeners to hear is that it really is just part of our everyday life. It's things we're doing already and just maybe adding to those things and, and not necessarily having that clear barrier. You've described a lot of aerobic exercise. Yeah. Is there any benefit or just more like if, if people are involved in strength training, let's yeah. say, yeah. And not necessarily on the exercise bike, but they're lifting weights and they're yeah. doing other things like that. Is that, mm-hmm. is that going to give you a similar effect? The answer from the science is that we know the most about aerobic exercise. That's why I keep talking about it so much. And there are studies trying to look at the effects of weight training. And they're a little bit mixed right now. It could be that there's not enough of them. We haven't found the sweet spot. Or it could be that the weight training is helping as much as it's raising your aerobic. Because as you know, you know, there's not, there's not a hard and fast line between I'm just lifting weights and I'm not increasing my heart rate at all versus I'm doing the aerobic, you know, activity using my muscles at all. In fact, my favorite workout is the combo of the two strength aerobic workout. But the science says the conclusion is not in all the way for strength work. I'm not saying don't do it. That's not useful. It has lots of, lots of other benefits for general physiology. But if you want to focus on that kind of exercise that has the most science behind improving brain function. That is hands down aerobic exercise, any exercise, any movement, sorry, that increases your heart rate. Okay. Okay. So I would imagine that there's, you know, you've described kind of the cognitive benefits that are rooted in real physical changes to the brain. And then you've got the neurochemical bubble bath that's improving emotions I would imagine that those are really not separate things, that there's kind of a synergy between the two that kind of create a sense of well-being that might also help to keep people motivated and hopefully maintain those habits. Yes, that absolutely works. But it also takes some work and planning on the practical side. I know there's lots of parents out there and they're saying, oh, well, I have zero time. Lucky you, you can do your (laughs) workout, but I don't have any time. And this is where I, again, go back to think more broadly about moving your body. (laughs) This is something I discovered myself during the pandemic. I like to go to the spin classes and outside, but that wasn't available to me. And so I started doing workouts at home and it was, it was okay. It wasn't as fun with, without all the other people and the, and the teacher. But then I discovered one thing 
that I, I kind of had to do more because I was spending so much time at home was really a great workout. And this is something that everybody has to do, cleaning the house. I ended uh. up using mopping the bathroom. It can get very aerobic if you do that, you know, it, with with vigor. It's like two for one. I always think think of that great scene from Mrs. Doubtfire, Mrs. Yeah, Doubtfire yes. with the vacuum. And it can be fun. And it absolutely, I guarantee you, this is very aerobic. And so now I add this, you know, once a week to my aerobics. This is my house cleaning workout. Everybody has to house clean. Use that. Use that as an opportunity to get some movement and aerobic movement into your life. Well, you truly are magical. You're not only motivating me to get out and, and exercise, but now I'm motivated to clean house. Yes. That's, that's really quite a, quite a feat. <laughs> so can you kind of summarize this, boil yeah. it down, call for action? What, yeah. what would be kind of the message that our listeners really need to hear? Yeah. So here's my call to action. Moving your body is quite extraordinary. You start moving your body more. And it not only gives you a happier, more joyful, less stressful life, but it actually changes the trajectory of your life for the better because you're starting to build up with every additional walk that you take, every additional aerobic mopping session that you give yourself in your own home is actually pushing you towards what I call the bigger, fatter, fluffier hippocampus and prefrontal cortex. That translates to more years of high, good, wonderful, interactive cognitive function. That is the dream. How many years do we want in our lives of being able to enjoy our family, enjoy our friends, enjoy all of the things that bring us joy? That is the trajectory that I want to offer to all of the readers. And really all it takes is starting to move more in the way that you find the most comfortable and hopefully the most fun. That's just such wonderful information and, and such a pleasure to talk with you today. We're going to have to wrap it up. So I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Wendy Suzuki. I would encourage everyone to find her TED Talk on YouTube and you can find her books, Good Anxiety and healthy brain, happy life, anywhere where you purchase books. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us today. For more information about the NAN Foundation and neuropsychology, please visit nanfoundation.org. And also be sure to follow our BrainBeat podcast on Twitter at BrainBeatPod. Pod.